You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're tuned in to another holiday episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Chad Dundas from ESPN.com. And joining us, as always, from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, Ben Folks. Ben, it is awfully goddamn Christmassy in your house this week. Yeah. How are you doing with that? <laughs> I'm doing fine with it. I guess I was a little confused when you said another holiday edition, because I guess what the whole month is going to be holiday editions of the podcast. Well, this one seems especially holiday, though, for, you know, not that the listeners would ever know that because they can't see in here, but you've got the tree up with the lights and the candy canes and stockings hung over the fireplace with care. Yeah. Uh, It's just we're on the other side of the room, so things seem different to me. We're ready to do the damn thing over here. Uh, Since my wife is pregnant, uh, she somehow seemed to get way more into doing Christmas decorations and stuff this year. You I don't think know. that that is it just happens uh, biological or? I think it's related to her not being able to drink, so she has oh, to fill, she has to yeah. fill the void somehow. Solid point. Which one of these stockings is yours? Is it the white one with the Christmas know. trees, or is it the pink and blue one with the reindeer on it? The reindeers. I'm not going to continue to have this conversation with you. It's the reindeers one, isn't it? T- tell everybody what we got on the show from today, Chad. As usual, the co-main event podcast comes to you in three rounds. In round number one this week, Ben Henderson versus Nate Diaz seems like it has the potential to be the fight of the year. You know, not to jinx it or anything. In round number two, BJ Penn is back and still talking about his legacy. In in that case, we'll talk about where he fits in with the all-time greats. And in round number three, Alexander Gustafson will take on Mauricio Shogun Hua in what looks suspiciously like a number one contender fight in the 200-pound division. It's just too bad that these days in the light heavyweight division, only middleweights get title shots. Oh, burn. All that plus Master Tweet Theater and just saying stuff. But first, listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes from Ed Bedell. You know, I just realized I didn't read these prior to going on the air. So, <laughs> Oh, this would be an I'm adventure. I'm going to be sight-reading these here. Ed, Ed Bedell asks, After watching the growth of mixed martial arts over the past several years and watching fighters become stars in the global sports arena, do you think it is now necessary for MMA fighters to spend more time focusing on their public speaking ability and public relations skills? This question arises after listening to quite a few interviews with Johnny Hendricks. Oh, wow, he just calls out Johnny Singled Hendricks. Singled out Johnny Hendricks. Uh, interviews with Johnny Hendricks over the past couple of weeks. While I personally dig the interviews because he's kind of a loose cannon, it can be uncomfortable at times with his mis use of large words, constant interrupting of the interviewer and him trying to make the same point over and over again. I truly believe he's a great fighter and could possibly beat GSP, meaning he could be the champion, aka the face of the division, but his interviewing skills could hold him back in terms of sponsorships and ultimately his growth as a star and the growth of the sport. You know, I'm a little surprised because I, when I first heard the first half of the question, I was like, no, okay, that's a good point. There are some fighters out there who could benefit from you know, some, some media training. Uh, which more of them than you would think do get. I didn't expect that Johnny Hendricks was going to be the guy who got singled out for that. Uh, but, there, I mean, I know uh, one of the managers I know is talking about, you know, when he gets his guys, he brings somebody in to help them work on, you know, here's what makes a good interview. Here's how you, you know, practice saying what you want to get across there, giving a good interview, 
uh, and, and not just giving like one word answers and leading to a boring interview. I mean, I think that's way more of a danger than Johnny Hendricks going to say some stuff. Fine. I mean, that makes for an interesting interview. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on what, you know, how you're looking at this. If you're, a, if you're a company that is looking to sponsor a fighter, then you probably do want to go with the George St. Pierre's of the world who are, you know, well-spoken and safe and aren't going to go get a DUI. If you're a reporter like you and I, <laughs> yes. you want these guys to say as much crazy shit as possible yeah. because that just makes our job easier and more interesting to write about. And I'll, I'll say that, you know, the, the thing that, that Ed brings up here, fighters needing to work on, on public speaking and PR, you could sort of make that indictment about any, you know, lots of pro athletes, regardless of, of their sport. Uh, I can say from experience that the worst person in the world, generally speaking, to interview is a professional baseball player because they are both boring and dumb. And I would, oh, wow. I would rather interview a professional mixed martial arts fighter any day of the week. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, some are better than others. It's sure. Yeah. And you're going to get that. You're going to get that, uh, no matter what the, the thing that bothers me even more though, are the, uh, mixed martial arts websites out there that feel like when they transcribe an interview, they have to do it exactly verbatim, including ums and uhs <laughs> and you knows. And, and like when a guy starts a sentence and then doesn't finish it. Yeah, you can go ahead and clean some of that stuff up and still maintain the, the spirit of the answer. I got it like Johnny Hendricks, though. I mean, I, I can understand what he's saying where uh, where he says some stuff about how, you know, he, he's going to wait for the title shot. You know, he kind of puts puts himself into like a, a certain corner there when he talks about how bad, how he feels that GSP is trying to avoid him or something like that. But all that stuff is fine. I mean, it's not like he's advocating armed insurrection against the government of the United States or looking at you, Jacob Volkman, threatening to, kill the, to beat up the president, uh, which hey, all publicity is good publicity. <laughs> am I right? Am I right? No, you're not. Am I right? No. Okay. Uh, the second question this week comes from Josiah Renadin, or as we would say in Montana, Josiah Renadin. <laughs> uh, he writes, I was listening to the third round of your most recent podcast and noticed you both talking about loving the sport a bit less after seeing behind the scenes. I'm the editor-in-chief for a video game journal journalism website called Stick Skills. I assume they'll, they'll see a huge uh, bump in, uh, in traffic as a result of being mentioned like on the podcast. Is, maybe we just got trolled a little bit. There. <laughs> uh, and because, no, stick Skills. You don't yeah, get a Stick Skills? I, I'm just going to keep reading the, the question. And because of this, I know probably more than I should about how games are made, who's making them, and what they need to sell and be successful. Being this invested has taken some of the love out of love out of the actual playing of games, so I can relate to your thoughts. I will absolutely, I, I still absolutely love what I do, but certain as aspects of it have become a little less interesting. I guess my question is this: Have you ever regretted going into your line of work? I'm a massive MMA fan, but I don't know if that would continue if I covered it as closely as you two do. Would you have rather just stayed a fan? That's an interesting question, and I feel like after I was thinking about. Uh the downer of a podcast that we had last week where we were talking about stuff like that, that maybe uh, we overstated that part of it. Uh, because once I thought about this question at all, I was like, no, I would absolutely not. Rather yeah, do something but that's else. because you eventually come around to the thought like, well, if I wasn't doing this, what would I be what doing? What would I do? Yeah. And it's like, I don't in, have any in my case, skills. I would be, you know, recording, reporting on the state Montana state classy high school football uh, championship, which is awesome in its own right, but not as cool as, as this other thing. Yeah. Not to mention, I mean, I don't know what you did today, but uh, I woke up, uh, sat around in my in my pajamas basically for the better half of the day, 
If I may say, it appears as though you are maybe still wearing your pajamas. That's not true. Well, I've taken a shower now. Well, and this brings up another point. You know, people oftentimes write us on the podcast to say that we should produce video of the podcast. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. And I, no you know, I don't that. usually respond individually, but, like, that's just never going to happen because you should see Ben Folks right now. He's wearing his Adidas warm-up pants and his Fall League flag football 2007 Division A championship T-shirt. City champions what? Which I also have but am not <laughs> wearing today. And – Number one, I don't want to deal with video. And number two, like, he would have to class it up a little bit. Maybe comb his hair, which doesn't seem like it's happened yet today. The point is, I can do all that because of the job I have. And, you know, even when you're on the road and you're kind of getting tired of, you know, doing stuff and it's Saturday night and you're, you know, technically working, you're sitting there at a fight. There's, that's always when I remember, like, oh, yeah, no, this is totally awesome to get to do this for a living. Uh, you know, there's, there's no way. I mean, of course, we're going to find ways to complain about it, but we really shouldn't. Yeah, I agree with that. Third question this week comes from Nicholas Lee. He writes, this just in, Ronda Rousey has as much sex as possible before a fight. Sorry, straight guys, but who cares? Like, how many stories come out about a person whose fight career is and has been at a standstill? Okay, she's in the UFC. Is there a division? Does she have a fight? At some point... They even did a story rehashing Twitter, the Twitter battle she had with Misha Tate's boyfriend. In parentheses, ha, take that, men's MMA. Seriously? People writing two stories a week about Ronda's, oh man, <laughs> quote, beautiful body slash fights like a Diaz. Yeah, this beautiful body. Rousey. And then here's how the Some email Diaz. ends. It says, are you fucking kidding me? King in all caps. I feel like, and this... then it says discuss. <laughs> so pretty much, pretty much the classic co-main event podcast question. Yeah. Hit, uh, hit all the bases there. Yeah, yeah. That, that, and again, a question that maybe suffered from a lack of focus, but brings up the good point. I, I guess I got to give credit to Ronda Rousey because you know she knows what she's doing in the sense that uh, when she, you know she's trying to keep herself in the news. And she you know, doesn't have like any real fight or date or anything coming up. So, but hey, go on TV and talk about how uh, how much sex you like to have, and boom, like every MMA blog just lights up with stories on it. It's I'm, automatic. I'm not gonna blame Ronda Rousey, but I am gonna say, like we talked about the last couple of weeks, there's reason to be concerned about how this whole women's MMA in the UFC thing is gonna work out. And this is another example of, yes, it, of is. it. Because you know who I'm gonna blame for this? Jim Rome. Because he, she went on Jim Rome's show, I think on the widely watched CBS Sports Network, and he asked her this question, like, what's your philosophy on having sex before a fight? And she just answered it. So, like, not necessarily Ronda Rousey's fault, but if Rashad Evans or Dominic Cruz were on Jim Rome's show, do you think he would ask them I mean, that how is much a, sex he, they have before a fight? <laughs> that is a, a question sometimes that fighters actually do get asked just because there's that old-timey boxing thing about it. So, I, you know, but I, I see your point. But it takes on an additional pervy yes. uh, undertone when yes. Jim Rome specifically asks it of yeah. Ronda Rousey. He's like, I hear you're like a Diaz brother in this beautiful fucking body. What do you do with that body before a fight? Yeah, no, I get it. Um, it but it is, it's, I agree with the, the question asker here uh, before he got kind of sidetracked. Uh, that it is weird how, you know, she goes in and, and, and says that stuff. And then 
we got to spend the whole next week reading about it. Yeah. All on MMA sites. Kind of like how uh, my buddy Ariel Helwani won't stop interviewing Steven Seagal, even though we know that Steven Seagal is just going to be a Steven Seagal troll. Uh, and, you know, still, still we're doing it. Like he matters. So yeah. Let's, let's just let's stop that bullshit. I'm going to come out and say I'm over both of these things. Both the questioning about Ronda Rousey's sexual habits and the lionization of, of Steven Seagal as some sort of person of influence in the uh in the mixed martial arts community you're officially over it huh i'm officially over yeah. it wow all right well you hear it everybody chad is officially over it anyway that's listener mail for this week if you want to get in touch with the podcast for future weeks you can go to the website comaineventpodcast.com and click the handy link in the upper right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast and that will get your message directly to us. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started in round number one right now after Ben takes his cat out of the room so that it stops brushing its bushy tail up against our microphones. Round number one coming up right now. <laughs> Well, Ben, UFC on Fox 5 comes our way this Saturday night from Jet City, Seattle, Washington. Um, and the main event here is the lightweight title fight between Ben Henderson and Nate Diaz, which I think we can all say is uh, an awesome fight, at least on paper. I know that you spoke with Nathan Diaz this week. What, uh, what's your take here? Is, is, do you agree with me that this has the potential to be, you know, at least on the, year, on the list of fights of the year, or, or do you think that's overstating it? Are you trying to ruin this? Yes, I'm trying to over-hype it up, over-inflate it for you. So when you watch it and it's just a so-so fight and Ben Henderson just takes him down for five rounds, you'll be really disappointed. Well, yeah, well, now we know who to blame. Now, now we know that you've just basically ruined what could be a great fight. Thanks, Chad. Why well, don't you that, just go ahead and say how, well, hey, at least it's close to the fight. No one will get injured or arrested. <laughs> yeah, we're right. say that. Yeah, we're out of the woods, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you uh, know, but... What you mentioned is the only way I don't see it being a really interesting fight is if it's just a wrestling demonstration by Ben Henderson. Which if I had to go out on a limb, is I'd say what is going to happen, but uh, that's just me. Anyway, my follow-up question, which you anticipated, was going to be well, when we put pressure on these fights and, and talk about how on paper these matchups look like they are going to be awesome and, and you know, I feel like a lot of times we say, oh, there's no way that one could be boring. And then yeah. almost always the fights underwhelm and it's just two guys like circling each other, throwing feints or one guy takes the other guy down and just holds him there. Uh, I guess we should just probably not do that. It seems like too much pressure. <laughs> yeah. Well, the good thing is when you have a Diaz brother uh, involved in the equation and a, and I mean a literal Diaz brother, not someone who is like a Diaz brother in a beautiful fucking body. You know, just move on. Just move on. <laughs> when you have that. one of the actual Diaz brothers, uh, then I think it definitely increases the chances it's going to be an awesome fight. We've seen Nate Diaz in a couple of those fights where, you know, he gets taken down and, and, and held there. But we haven't really seen that at lightweight. That happened to him a couple of times at welterweight. And I know that Benson Henderson is a big lightweight. We always hear people talking about that. But... I don't know if he's just going to be able to just take Nate Diaz down and hold him there. I just don't think that that's going to happen uh, at 155 pounds. So he will have to do a little something. The thing for me is if, and and I also talked to Benson Henderson, uh, and the thing I did not hear from him is, hey, I want to go out there and finish somebody. I want to go out there and put somebody away to really put my stamp on the UFC lightweight title. Because I don't feel like he's done that yet. 
Well, no, a lot of people think he lost both those fights against Frankie Edgar, which kind of makes it hard to uh, legitimize yourself as the champion, even though, you know, you officially beat him and then won again in the rematch. So, uh, yeah, it seems like he probably does or would be in need of a, of a statement victory here. Um, but then again, I'm not sure that, the, that Ben Henderson has ever been a particularly adept finisher. Um, he, he's a guy, he's a guy who at least, you know, post WEC career has definitely used his wrestling and, and frankly crafted a, a career in the UFC that has far exceeded my expectations when he was coming out of the, uh, of the, of the defunct WEC. And I, you know, I don't know if he's a guy, maybe he's not a guy that even thinks of it in, ter- in terms of, of the, that he needs to put his own mark on the, on the lightweight division. Although I agree with you that I think it would be good for him to, to get a stoppage here. Yeah, but he doesn't see it that way that I, I asked him, first of all, we're supposed to be calling him Benson Henderson now rather than Ben Henderson. Really? Not yeah. just Ben? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that's according to his PR guy that they're trying to get, you know, one unified thing for people to call him. Uh, but and they're going with Benson? Benson. Over Ben. Yeah. Okay. It's more unique, I guess. Oh, yeah, it is. It is yeah. more unique. I'll give him that. But talking to him, and by him I mean Benson, uh, he, didn't, he definitely did not feel like he needs to go out there and finish anybody. Uh, claims you know, that he doesn't really care what people think if they think that, hey, he's just a guy who fights to win decisions. Uh, and that is something that you hear a lot of people saying, after, especially after that second Frankie Edgar fight where it looked like he was – you know, kind of hanging around for the beginning of some of those rounds and then turning it on in the last minute, minute and a half to try and win the round. Uh, and you're not going to win a whole lot of fans that way. It's fine to say, hey, I just want to win no matter what. The victory is the only thing that matters to me. Uh, but at some point, that stuff is going to matter to you. You're going to want to be thought as that dominant champion, you know, not just the guy who happens to hold on to the belt and everybody's just waiting for you to lose it. You, eventually, you're going to want to be that guy, that, that, you know, the terrifying dude at the top of the division. I don't think he is that right now. He needs a, a signature win in the UFC. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I don't think he is terrifying. Um, and the, I, this is a good, this might be a fight that has potential for him to, to, to at least look impressive. I think Diaz is a guy who's really tough to stop. So I'm not sure that yeah. we're going to see, you know, some kind of highlight reel finish here. But it's also a fight that I don't, I mean, at least in my own mind, it's it's one I feel like Henderson. It's kind of his to lose. I feel like he definitely wins this if he, uh, you know, if everything it goes sort of according to plan and nothing crazy happens. I mean, for me, it puts me in in kind of a weird situation because maybe these are two fighters that I have had a, a slow time coming around on as as legitimate guys. You know, I thought I thought Henderson lost that fight to against Edgar, both of them, and I thought. He, you know, leading up to, to fights with Jim Miller, I thought he was going to lose that one too. So I've thought that about, you know, about both these guys in terms of their last few fights. And so, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't think that either of these guys, well, I guess I've been proved wrong about Ben Henderson, but I just have a hard time. Benson Henderson, excuse me. I have a hard time, uh, Still, at this point, buying Nate Diaz at the top of the division. I really? guess that's just my own personal bias. I don't know. Have you been watching him? Yeah, I, I guess I have. I just think this is like, – I know that this is, that no one is really saying this, but I feel this is a fight that, that Henderson can just blow him out of the water in. Honestly. Really? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't see that. I mean, I mean how is Nate Diaz going to win this? Like, he's not going to submit Ben Henderson. You can't submit that guy. Benson Henderson. He might. He might submit him. Yeah, I mean, I guess he could, but don't, wouldn't you see that as the least likely possible outcome? I think... Uh, Have you seen guys try to submit Benson Henderson before? Yeah, but uh, hey, just because he's tough to submit doesn't mean that he's impossible to submit. I mean, 
uh, Nick Diaz went out there and submitted Jim Miller. Uh, he and they, he went out there on a kickboxing match and took it to Cowboy Cerrone uh, every way he wanted it. Yeah, so Cowboy Cerrone served that one to him, though, on a platter. He did a little bit. But still, not a little bit. He absolutely. I, I think that that Nate Diaz at this point has has proved that he can do enough different things well that he, you know he no one's going to blow that guy out of the water. You might beat him. You mean you might beat him in a decision. You might have, like if you pay more attention to uh, you know fighting for how to impress the judges, which the Diaz brothers do not do at all. They don't. They don't do that part of it well. If you are able to beat him in, in that regard, that's your best chance. I don't. I don't see him going out there. Uh, and just blowing the guy away, though. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't mean to try to make the case that Nate Diaz should not be the number one contender. I think he should be at this point. But I also think that if this is a fight where, where Ben Henderson sticks to his game plan and plays it smart, I think he kind of takes it walking away. I just don't see that really. I mean, I if I had to guess, I would say like five round, really, really lopsided decision. Wow, I, I disagree with you. Are you are you going so far as to say Nate Diaz is your new well, lightweight champion we're on not, Monday? We're not, we don't do picks and, and stuff. I know that's why I phrased it in a different way. Did you? I definitely like his chances a lot better than you do, and I I for one really wouldn't mind seeing Nate Diaz uh, as the lightweight champion or seeing any Diaz as champion. I think uh, he's a really fun fighter to watch, fun guy to have around. Also, he has all the awesome Diaz brother stuff in the cage. But then when you talk to the guy, uh, you actually feel like. Like you can have a conversation, uh, somewhat unlike Nick. I feel like the question I ask Nate will probably be the question that he answers, uh, and I appreciate that from a reporter's perspective. And also, he's just so fun to watch fight. You know, I asked him uh, if, especially you know, he's fought on Fox before, and I think we talked about it before when he fought Jim Miller. Like, hey, if it's going to take so long for him to fight again, are you really using the Fox thing the right way? Now here he is fighting on Fox again. Maybe people remember from months and months ago uh, and are more likely to tune in because they've already seen him. Uh, and I kind of asked him, like, hey, did anybody tell you when you fight on Fox? Keep the, keep the middle fingers down. Let's not do any of that stuff. Uh, he says no. So far, at least, nobody has told him that kind of stuff. So, uh, hey, I think maybe we could be in for a good time, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, and I totally agree with you that there would be maybe nothing funner than a Diaz championship reign in the UFC. But I also feel as though people we talk, we've talked about this before on the podcast that the, for whatever re- reason, the Diaz brothers breed this really rabid support and they have this, you know, these really staunch fans who are going to write you an email and call you a, a Diaz hater. If you say anything that can even remotely be perceived as a, a criticism of, criticism of them and I feel like sometimes because of that and because people really do enjoy their fighting styles which is entirely understandable they're both exciting fighters I feel like sometimes people just want them to win a lot and so they like give them either more credence than they should have or they 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 overestimate the chance that they have at winning a fight. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe look, look at who he's who he's lost to recently. You know, while, while in the last couple of years, right? He had the loss at the losses at welterweight, where he lost to Dong Hyun Kim, who is a big suffocating wrestler who can just hold you down, which is what he did. He lost to Roy McDonald, who, as we now know, you know, pretty damn good fighter. Uh, and then he had he also has uh, the decision, split, split decision loss to Gray Maynard which he'll get all fired up and still tell you that he thinks he won. I mean, those are not, those are not bad fights to lose. You've got to lose some. That's, that's the mark of a good fighter. 
Yeah, but I mean that. You're just, a hater. You're a Diaz <laughs> hater. That's what you are. I'm not. I'm just. I'm just not buying it right now for this particular fight. I think it's a bad matchup for him. I think he loses it. But hey, that's just me. Maybe I'll. Maybe I'll be wrong. Well, I'm, maybe we'll talk. Maybe about next this. week you can have your 209 T-shirt on. Mm-hmm. You can be sitting here. Don't be scared, homie. Flipping the double bird to everybody. Yeah. Crowing about how right you were. This is. I, I maybe we'll talk about this a little bit in the third round when we talk about another fight on this card. But uh, this to me, this fight card. Really encouraging for the UFC's Fox deal. Now, yeah. this is what I was hoping that they would do, this kind of fight card. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that this and this is obviously the best one that we've seen, and I think it's the right move to put a title fight at the top of the card just in case anyone sees a commercial. They don't really know what it is. They see one guy holding a big gold belt. At least they know that there's a champion involved. Yeah. And, yeah, I hope, it, I hope it comes together in practice as good as it looks on paper because I agree with you that this, this does look like the kind of thing that we were hoping to get kind of from the beginning. Yeah, good for the UFC. And, yeah, let's, let's hope that Chad hasn't completely jinxed it. Well, no, I, I certainly have. I most <laughs> certainly have. I've not only jinxed the UFC fight card, I've probably also jinxed Benson Henderson. Well, I just hope since Unless I'm going to be— Unless no one knows I was talking about him because I kept calling him <laughs> Ben Anderson. I just hope, since I'm going to be at this one, I, I just hope that uh, when uh, the key arena goes up in flames because of the Chad Dundas curse, I'm able to get out of there uh, before the whole place burns down. So thanks. Uh, you know, we always talk about the lightweight division as being the deepest division in the, in the sport, but uh, after this fight, you're looking at, let's just say Ben Henderson wins it. Benson, you mean? Benson Henderson wins it. Probably just not going to ever call him that. I don't know why. Uh, at that point, then you're looking at dudes like Eddie Alvarez and Gilbert Melendez just kind of couldn't arrive at a better time because, you know, he's not going to fight Frankie Edgar again, probably. And if you look at the other guys in the top 10, it's you're either looking at WEC rematches with, with Cerrone or uh, Anthony Pettis or a, a guy like Gray Maynard getting another shot. So I, I don't know, man. Do you feel like maybe... Uh, the the lightweight division isn't quite as deep as we've always sort of taken for granted at this point? First of all, I don't think even Gray Maynard wants to see Gray Maynard get another shot at this point, do okay, they? Okay, well, that's not true. <laughs> you know, I think the lightweight division is still really deep, uh, but there's, there's like the depth is more in the middle than it is at the very top. But as you said, you know, you have guys like Eddie Alvarez and, and Gilbert Melendez coming in to give us a boost there. Uh, it, it's only natural that if a guy is able to hold on to the title for a little while, he's going to knock off some contenders, and so you're going to need some new guys to come up there. But I mean, I think there's several interesting matchups that you can have for for Benson Henderson. Uh, to me, though, I think if if he's going to be that guy, that guy who can really sell fights as the lightweight champion, and who you know we're going to look at the way we used to look at guys like uh, B.J. Penn or even Frankie Edgar. Uh, he needs to go out there and and make a statement against somebody. It can't just be you know, takedowns and decisions the entire time. It, it can't. Well, we'll see. And speaking of BJ Penn, you all know that's who we'll be talking about in round number two. But first, coming up next, the world's leading theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock, is going to come in and lead us in yet another rendition of Master Tweet Theater. That starts now. And now, Master Tweet Theater. And now we welcome back to the podcast everyone's favorite theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Good day to you, sir. I am ill. 
Do you mean that as in literally ill or like the Beastie Boys ill? Sir, I have acting fever. Also regular fever. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear both of those things. Uh, those of you who don't know how Master Tweet Theater works, A, why the fuck haven't you been listening to this podcast uh, since the very beginning? B, basically Sir Nigel's going to read us off some tweets. Chad and I are going to try and guess who the tweeter in question was. Somebody from the MMA community, not necessarily a fighter. Uh, and then we're probably going to argue about, uh, you know, who did better and who did worse. So, Sir Nigel, whenever you're ready, go ahead and hit us. Yes, let us begin. <clears throat> Tweet the first. If I had a buzz right now, it would have been killed thoroughly by this news on Dominic Cruz. Dude can't catch a break. He'll power through. Huh. Okay. Well, for a second there, I was thinking it was going to be some Uriah Faber stuff. Cause, but then it didn't go negative enough on Dominic Cruz. That's, that's why I can't go Faber on that one. Um, I'm going to go Joe Benavides, a, a Faber buddy. That, that's interesting. Uh, I am going to go, because of the relentless positivity of the tweet, I'm going to go with uh, lightweight champion Ben Henderson. Oh, okay. So, Nigel? Both fine guesses, both grounded in keen deduction, and both, as usual, wrong. Damn. It is, in fact, John Anik. Oh. John Anik. That's a curveball. Yes, advising the Dominic Cruz to power through his ACL injury. <laughs> yeah, you just you power through your body uh, rejecting a cadaver ligament, right? That's how that works. Sure. You walk it off. Yeah, rub some dirt on it. Yeah. Perfect. <clears throat> Tweet the second. Watching Karate Kid with the kids. How many of you immediately left the movie trying to karate chop somebody when you were a kid? Hashtag. Ha! Spell that hashtag. Uh, number sign W A A A A A A A A. Okay, well, I was going to argue with you there, but I think you're probably right. Yes, I believe it is pronounced. Okay, so. Somebody who has kids uh -huh. watching the Karate Kid, kind of, kind of corny. There, I'm gonna say John Jones. Hmm, that's interesting. Boy, I really don't know which MMA fighters have kids. All of them, sir. Oh, oh okay. Uh, I guess I will go with. You know, I haven't done this in a while, but I'm gonna go with uh, Matt Mitrion. That's true. You haven't. I, does Matt Mitrion have kids? He might be the one of like, the only ones who doesn't. I think he does. I think he has a daughter. Okay, yeah, you might be right. He could easily acquire some, sir. <laughs> <clears throat> no, it is in fact Tyron T. Wood Woodley. Ah, oh, God. Most this is hard. This is a hard one. This is it a hard is one. very fiendishly difficult, I might say. I feel like maybe since Sir Nigel is feeling poorly, he's decided to take it out on us. Everyone will feel poorly around Sir Nigel. <laughs> <clears throat> Tweet the fourth. Quote, The higher we soar, the smaller we appear to those who cannot fly. End quote. Friedrich Nietzsche. Here's a hint, retweeted by Phil Baroni. First of all, are we already on the fourth one? We are. So wait. Oh, what? no, I skipped one. Yeah. My God, sir. My <laughs> mind has been ruined. A delirious dream. I suppose we should just do this one, but what are you asking us for here? You're asking us to name who the original tweeter was, but, and, but we get a hint by we know that Phil Baroni retweeted it, right? Yes, sirs. Okay, so we're trying to figure out... Okay, it's got to be somebody Phil Baroni follows. Tossing off Nietzsche quotes. I'm saying Ariane Celeste. Oh, that's, that's what I was going to say. Ariane, Lopez, Benchimol, Concepcion, Celeste. Okay. Um, 
boy, now I got to kind of regroup here. <laughs> Who would quote Nietzsche? You could say Ariadne if you, if you feel committed to it. I mean, that is what I was going to guess, but I feel like it would be boring if I guessed the same thing as you. So I will guess rival Octagon Girl, Brittany Palmer. Huh, interesting. It is neither enthusiast of continental philosophy. It is, in fact, Henzo Gracie, <sighs> quoting Nietzsche, quoted by the poet Philip Baroni. Damn it. You know, Henzo is always all about the quotes. I should finally get it through my head. I don't know why. <laughs> all right. Now, jumping on to Tweet the Fifth, after which we will do Tweet the Second, and everything will be just fine. <clears throat> tweet the Fifth. Everyone, is nastylittlefacials.com down for you, too? Or is it up? Please check. And LMK, thanks. Also retweeted by Phil Barone. <laughs> okay. All right. Chad, you want to go first on this one? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll say Miguel Torres. That's just a guess. Well, they're all guesses, but that one maybe based on nothing. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to say Met Mitrione. I'm going to go with your guy. It is neither of those gentlemen. Damn it. It is, in fact, adult film producer Duke Skywalker, who has appeared on this podcast before, in tweet form. What the fuck are you trying to pull here? I am pointing out some tendencies in Phil Baroni's retweeting <laughs> patterns. <laughs> well, I feel like you kind of cheated here now with... Yeah, this is obviously bullshit, but let's do the last <laughs> one. Fine. This is turned into a complete shit show, but go on. Only a small amount of bullshit. <clears throat> tweet the second... Sorry, everyone. I had to shave the stash yesterday. Too many people wanted to fight it when I was at a local fight. Jacob Volkman. Yeah, it's Jacob Volkman. I saw it earlier retweeted by someone else. Yeah, I'm not even going to act like that one was tough to guess, so fuck you, Nigel. Well, it is in fact Jacob Volkman acting as if people objected to his mustache and not the face to which it was attached. <laughs> well... Fortunately, that brings an end to this edition of Master Tweet Theater. Sir Nigel, what are you doing with your sorry life once you get out of here? Well, it's funny you should ask, sir. I am no. just now beginning rehearsals for Lincoln 2, Emancipation. And what role do you play in this? I play the beloved actor John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> well, I think it's a, a role you were born to play. Everyone, that was Sir Nigel Longstock, and this has been Master Tweet Theater. Good day to you, sir. Well, Ben, it has been some time since we've seen BJ Penn in the cage. The last time we saw him was last October uh, when he pulled the sort of spur of the moment retirement after he was beat down by Nick Diaz. Uh, he, he's, it seems he's coming out of retirement because he, he got called out. Correct. He, well, there's some little bit of discrepancy about that because when uh, Roy McDonald was answering fan questions before the uh, weigh-ins in Montreal at UFC 154, uh, he was actually asked twice, "Why did you call out BJ Penn?" Uh, to which he replied that he didn't. Uh, that BJ had told somebody at the UFC that he wanted to fight him, and so you know, then Roy just said, "Yeah, I'll I'll fight him." At least Roy McDonald's version is that BJ did kind of the private call out. And then Roy McDonald did the public call out. Although that is not how it seemed at the time. Uh, I agree with you there. It did seem like maybe Roy McDonald was saying, well, here's a guy with a name who's old who I can, I can beat up on. Uh, and kind of selectively he chose his fight there. And maybe chose it, chose it well, too, by the, by the sound of things. But now, now we hear the same thing that we're 
kind of used to hearing with BJ Penn. He's back. He's he's in good shape. He's motivated. We're all trying to look and see, you know, can we see his abs? How, how good a shape is BJ Penn in? Oh, man, yeah, he, he looks like he cares this time. Uh, and now people get all fired up about it. Do you buy it? I don't know, man. We're just going to have to wait and see. I think it's, you know, it's, it's funny to me that we talk about him in, in these terms, even though I guess I understand it, that, that – you know, Rory McDonald would look at him and think, oh, there's a guy I could beat up easily. And, you know, we we kind of crack jokes about BJ Penn's legacy and stuff like that. I mean, the reality is the guy is one of the only two multi-divisional champions in UFC history. And there was a time when it looked like no one would ever beat him at lightweight. You know, I remember thinking when he was getting beat down by George St. Pierre, just watching it and thinking that he needed to go back down to 155 because I didn't think there was anybody there that would ever beat him. And then, you know, Frankie Edgar pretty much came out of nowhere and did it in back-to-back fights. But I guess where does he stack up among the all-time greats if he's even in the in the conversation? Because he has had a tremendous amount of success. He's obviously one of the more talented guys to ever come into the sport just in terms of, like, pure natural ability. And yet we do have this kind of tendency to look down on him and, and think of him as the guy who's going to show up fat and disinterested. So like well, he has done that at times. Yeah. So yeah, but I don't, there should be a, a term for the era, like kind of the way Matt Hughes was the greatest welterweight of a certain kind of era where it was after the real, like primordial stage of MMA. It was past that, past the, the Mark Coleman headbutts era, you know, uh, past the the Tank Abbott uh, era, all that kind of stuff, and into like kind of an intermediate era where there were good athletes, good fighters. Uh, everybody kind of was an MMA fighter by then, and yet maybe the sport was not quite uh, the evolution there was not quite complete in all grounds. You were still, you know, a guy was a specialist in this, but he could could do well enough the other things. He, BJ Penn of that same era, I think we have to say, is the greatest lightweight of that era. Uh, and I think the problem is he might be looking at that now and saying, well, I don't want to be remembered as like, you know, the greatest of one era before everybody got better. I want to be known as, you know, one of the greatest of all time, um, which I kind of feel like a, that's what happens to everybody, right? Is that even if you're the greatest, you know, with the exception of maybe somebody like Anderson Silva or George St. Pierre, who we're going to remember as the greatest for a long time, everybody kind of gets remembered as how they stacked up in their era. And that's not so bad, you know, but at the same time, B, I don't know if BJ Penn comes back and wins this fight now that that necessarily changes how I look at him. Because I don't see him going on and becoming the welterweight champ after that or, or, you know, being a lightweight champ or anything. So even if he does come back now, shows up, looks motivated, wins a couple fights, I think the BJ Penn scouting report of, hey, he was great when he was really motivated and he cared and he was merely very good every other time, I think that's still intact. That's the pro- I think it's a little bit late to be changing that narrative for him. Yeah, this would be a really nice and frankly unexpected win for him if he's able to beat McDonald. But at the same time, man, just you, you look at his past few fights and he's he's won three and one. You know, in his last five, and and the one was the a Matt one Hughes. is the twenty-one second knockout of a Matt Hughes that I think you would say was probably already two or three fights deep in his retirement. Right. Uh, by the time that that fight happened, I mean Penn's last real good dominant win was this Diego Sanchez fight at, at UFC one hundred seven, which was in December of two thousand nine. Like that was a long time ago. But he beat Diego Sanchez's ass in that one. Yes, he did. He beat him quite badly, although. It's Diego Sanchez's only loss at lightweight, so 
you know, going by the Ben Folks, Nate Diaz uh, scale. Maybe, maybe Diaz Diego hater. Sanchez is the next champ. I can't believe what's not Diaz a bad loss losing to BJ at 155. Anyway, uh, the the thing to me that that kind of sets BJ apart if we want to have this discussion about greatest of all time, the thing to me that, that kind of sets him apart from the other guys that we would talk about, you know, the Anderson Silva's, the George St. Pierre's, maybe one day the John Jones's, even like the Randy Couture's. I feel like it's really hard to find a performance out of those guys where you look at it and you think, Oh, well he just wasn't ready, you know, like, or he just showed up in terrible shape, wasn't ready to go. Whereas with BJ, yeah, maybe we've seen that before. And to me, when you, when you start talking about, you know, the greatest of all time, when you take on that sort of like weighty, weighty topic, that, that, that kind of discussion, uh, you, you don't do yourself any favors when the main knock on you is, oh, you know, he just didn't do the work in, yeah. the, in the gym. You know, and that's always been to me one of the fascinating parts of the BJ Penn story is the, and it has changed in recent years, but the extent to which it was, the story was talent squandered in some ways, or at least talent not fully realized you know you mentioned like randy couture i think there's another guy who stands out as you know the great of that kind of intermediate era i don't think any like we we love randy couture and people have this like, great affection for randy couture but uh i you know there's a guy where i think uh yeah he always showed up in shape uh and ready to to do the damn thing but he didn't have that same kind of like magic that, that that BJ Penn has even so I mean everybody kind of has their different things and I can understand how BJ Penn would be like hey I'd rather be the guy who everybody loves and was you know everybody wants to be the hard nosed work ethic guy that's just not him you know he's shown it that when he cares he can still get it get up get in shape get off the couch get in the gym all that kind of stuff uh, but you know is it going to be enough now that he is approaching his mid thirties and, and fighting this guy who's everybody's looking at like the next great welterweight contender. I don't know. I would be really surprised if he wins this fight, no matter yeah. what kind of shape he's in. Yeah, and the, maybe the thing that makes BJ such a weird character is the sort of juxtaposition between the fact that it never really did seem like he was that guy. You know, he ne- it never seemed like he was the guy that was going to do a tremendous amount of preparation prior to the fight. And yet, throughout his entire career, he's talked about the sport in terms of his legacy. Like, he's always done that, even going back to the point, you know, years ago, I guess in, uh, what, two thousand four when he f- gave up the the welterweight title the first time he won the welterweight title gave it up as, as in part of sort of co- a contract dispute with the ufc and after he left the ufc for a time went on this like kind of bizarre vision quest <laughs> where he traveled around fighting guys at various weight classes and ended up fighting leota machida at heavyweight and you know said he was doing it to like build this legacy that couldn't be denied as the greatest of all time and then you know when he got involved in the feud with George St. Pierre he he put it in in terms of uh uh you know these great boxing rivalries uh, of you know like Muhammad Ali and and uh and Sonny Liston et cetera et cetera and it you know it, obviously in the case of of Penn St. Pierre not sure it really <laughs> lived up to that sort of billing. But, but he ran the rock beforehand. He did, yeah. He did Remember do those he underwater sprints. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it seems like he's always been a guy who's been really, really preoccupied with that idea, with the idea of, of, of his legacy and being the greatest of all time. And so I think it's interesting to think of him as a guy who was really, really talented, wanted to be the greatest of all time, but at the same time 
it, it never felt like he really understood the work that he would have to do. Well, to you know, get there. he did at times, maybe, and, and at other times, maybe not. He did seem like one of those guys who uh, suffered from trying to be the boss of his own training camp too much. Uh, some guys can make that work. Very few guys, I think, can make that work. Most people need somebody else to be in charge. Even if you're the champion, you kind of need a coach telling you what to do. Uh, but another part of his legacy is, I think, like you mentioned, like that Leota Machida fight. And he was saying it when people were asking him, hey, what do you think about a George St. Pierre Anderson Silva fight and how George seems like he doesn't really want it. And BJ said, hey, you know what I'd say if they offered me that fight. And we do know what BJ would say. I mean, yeah. that's something that you definitely don't have to question is that he, you know, whether it was because of his legacy or just because of the way he viewed fighting uh, in general. You know, he was willing to take on whatever challenge that, that were out there. I mean, the, the crazier, the better for him. Uh, and, you know, that's, I think, definitely something that's going to be worth remembering for him. I think he's probably, legacy-wise, going to wish that maybe he was a little more gracious in defeat at times. <laughs> you know, I think that like, George Do you Pierre, think guys think that? Do you think guys, like, after they retire, they're old and they're sitting around in, uh, in the easy chair with the, the whiskey on their, on their knee? Do you think they're thinking, oh, man, I... Should have been more gracious in defeat. Well, first of all, you, you were thinking about your retirement uh, and, and not uh, a pro fighter's. But I just think that, you know, if, if you're thinking about your legacy, you're thinking about how people remember you and what they say about you. Yeah, you, I mean, that is something that they're going to say about you is the time that you wanted to have George St. Pierre showered and, uh, you know, accusing him of taking a grease pill or something and had your mom come to the commission to talk about it. You, you just might wish that 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 whole thing had never happened. That's all wow. I'm saying. Talking about BJ's mom coming to the commission. She that did. She like, came to the commission. It feels like a low blow to me, though, to bring that up. <laughs> anyway, uh, that'll probably do it for round number one, two. What round two. are we in? Round number two. Jesus Christ. No uh, one knows. No one can keep count anymore. Speaking of not doing the preparation, uh, we'll be back with round number three right now. Round three. Chad, elsewhere on the UFC on Fox 5 card this weekend, we have light heavyweights Mauricio Shogun Hua Hua. taking on Alexander Gustafson in a fight that, in a just and fair world, would seem to be leading up to some kind of light heavyweight number one contender situation. Uh, However, in the actual world that we have in the UFC, uh, instead you kind of just get the shot based on availability and uh, willingness to say whatever it seems. It's just a fun fight. Yeah, you know? a lot of fun fights happening at 205. Uh, however, in in a more more reasonable world, this would be one of those fights where the guy who comes out of this would be, if not next in line for a shot, at least really damn close. Uh, also one of those fights where uh, it seems like maybe we're not even talking about it as much as we should be considering that's an awesome fight. Yeah, and I mean, especially if Alexander Gustafson comes out of it as the victor, then you really have to feel for the guy because he'll be 15-1. and one. He'll have won six fights in a row uh, in the UFC. And I think that we all kind of look at him and acknowledge that, hey, if anybody is going to be able to give John Jones a fight at 205 pounds right now, maybe it's this big Swede with the reach and the, and the height and the athleticism and it seems like kind of a given at this point because we're having John Jones run around and play haha games with Chael Sonnen. Haha games on huh? a reality TV show. What's a haha game? You, I think you know what it is. <laughs> I just wanted to force you to describe it. 
spending Thanksgiving together. Grab car- bassling? Carving the turkey together. Smoking and joking. <laughs> Meanwhile, Alexander Gustafson is, is going to have to fight somebody else, probably, if, even if he comes out of this with a win. And, uh, you know, uh, these winning streaks don't grow on trees in the UFC, man. It's, there's a lot of ways to lose. So if Gustafson, if Alexander Gustafson beats Mauricio Shogun Hua and then something strange would happen, like he would lose to somebody else, Glover Tashira or somebody like that, you would kind of have to feel for the guy because yeah. the title shot that he probably should have had is going to go to, uh, to Chael Sonnen. You seem to be just writing off the possibility that Shogun Hua could win and then get the title shot. Just, you think that just because we've already seen Jones Hua that he has to do so much more to get there? No, I mean, I guess I think Gustafson is probably going to win. Uh, and, and so I, that, that's primarily what what was occupying my mind. I mean, I guess you would, you would kind of have to feel the same way about Shogun Hua just because, uh, you know, he, if he wins this fight, then maybe he's the number one contender. And, and maybe it just speaks to the utter chaos that is the UFC light heavyweight division right now because it doesn't seem like there's any structure. Yeah. It doesn't seem like there's any cohesiveness. It doesn't feel like there's any like linear storyline stuff happening in terms of contendership. So, yeah, I, I mean, just because it's sort of a been there, done that situation with Shogun, you feel a little bit like Gustafson would deserve the shot more uh, and, and that Shogun might still have some work to do but you know uh i feel like there's a a group of guys right now alexander gustafson dan henderson maybe shogun if he wins this fight who could all make far more legitimate claim to getting the next shot at the 205 pound title than the guy who actually is going to get it do you remember the last time uh shogun hua fight fought on fox uh oh yeah yeah i do I yeah. scored the fight awesome, right? Yeah. No, no, oh. that was a that was the paper. Oh no, no, yeah, he fought, he fought Brandon Vera. Yes, he yeah. fought Brandon Vera on that card that had two light heavyweight fights on the top. And do you remember the hook for that one was that whoever wins most impressively, that person uh, will get the next shot. Uh, Shogun beat Brandon Vera. Leota Machida uh, beat Ryan Bader after Bader decided to run face first into his fist. Uh, and afterwards, Zena White told us that he felt like Leota Machida wanted it more, uh, and Shogun was just kind of like, eh, whatever. Either because, you know, Shogun was in no great hurry to fight John Jones again, or because maybe Shogun Hua looked into the crystal ball and figured, this is all bullshit anyway. It's neither one of us is going to get this, this title shot. Something weird is going to happen, because now look at where we are. That was, that was like the whole selling point for that fight card. You know, this is going to determine who gets the next light heavyweight title shot. Now we come around to a fight that definitely should determine who gets the next light heavyweight title shot. And we're not even really talking about that. Well, you know how crazy and stupid things have been at light heavyweight recently is that I totally forgot that that happened. <laughs> wow, really? I totally, whenever, when you started talking about that, I, I thought to myself, oh, yeah. That did happen. They did do this Fox card about like which one was going to want it more for the 205-pound title. Huh. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Or else I probably just would have filed that away with all the other worthless bullshit that I make a point of forgetting. You know, speaking of guys' legacies, I, Shogun Hu is one of those guys, I think, where he is getting to the point when uh, these are, are the kind of fights where we're going to see... Does Shogun Hua just do the Shogun Hua thing over and over again? Does he just have that one setting? Is he going to go out there and try and try and run that one setting? Which is awesome. Which I love to see. That just, you know, head down brawler 
kickboxer brawler kind of style that he has just feels like reckless and all over the place. Is he just going to try and go out there and do that to Alexander Gustafson, which might not go well for him? Or is Shogun Hua getting to the point where he's thinking, all right, look, we, we've got to be careful in some of these fights. Uh, and instead of just trying to go old school shoot a box brawl with a Vanderlei over some puppies uh, kind of mentality, maybe we'll try and be a little more tactical here. Yeah, well, I mean, when you talk about guys being a product of their era, you yeah. probably have to say Shogun Hua is pretty top, pretty much near the top of that list because this is a guy that when he was over in Pride, you know, there there was a time when we just thought he was the most destructive murderer we'd ever seen. You know, kind of in the era where where Vanderlei was starting to, uh, you know, ebb a little bit, I guess you would say, and and Shogun Hua was was the number one light heavyweight in the world. And, and he's still that destructive force. It's just that that destructive force, it feels like it's a little easier for people. To, he's like that kid who, when there are a bunch of kids are running around the playground, and he's just like putting his fist out and spinning around in circles sometimes. It's like, he's going to hit somebody. But you just don't know. <laughs> you just don't want it to be you. <laughs> yeah. Also, and luckily for the other kids on the playground, most of them are much bigger than he is at this <laughs> weight. So, You know, I don't think... Well, there's some people who are in this conversation, but Shogun Hua is definitely in the top three of guys who, uh, when he gets tired, cannot hide it. Mm, Looks yes. so tired when he gets tired. Yeah, I think we call that the Coleman Index. <laughs> yeah, Mark Coleman is up there. Uh, Shogun Shogun Hua is up there. Uh, and it's just because, I guess, he just expends just such tremendous energy in these terribly violent bursts. But man, when, when he gets tired, it is just like, you know, chest heaving, mouth open kind of tired. There's no poker face about it at all, which I kind of love. But man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to like, I suppose. A guy who, 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 who fights so hard, he just can't pace himself. No. He just can't help himself. Like that guy, you know, he, he goes to the buffet and it's like one one plate in of just prime ribs stacked high on top of french fries uh with you know a side of soft serve and you're like hey man look we we plan to be here a little while let's let's take it easy jesus christ yoga <laughs> uh anything else you want to talk about ufc on fox 5 related before we uh do just saying stuff and and Get on up out of here. Well, I'm going to be in the house in Seattle, so any Coleman Event podcast listeners who are uh, around in the Jet City, as Chad and basically nobody else calls it, uh, holla at your boy. You know, that's where Boeing was based. Yeah, no, I get it. I get During it. In the, uh, yeah. the olden times. Seattle Supersonics, that was their basketball team, sort of a Jet theme. Yeah, there. was. Was, Chad. Just living in the past over here. Anyway, before we close the show down, now is the time of the program where every week Ben and I both make statements that we are later not asked to defend, back up, uh, qualify in any way because even though you guys are going to send us emails about it and, and hit us up on Twitter, we're just saying stuff. Just saying. Ben, why don't you go first? I'm just saying, as many people noticed, Dana White appeared in a little skit uh, for Fox's NFL pregame coverage in which he portrayed a a homeless man giving betting advice to Rob Riggle. Uh, Not a terribly funny skit. Dana White sitting there as a homeless guy, you know, ha ha ha, really, really funny. 
But some people, you know, as they will, were criticizing him for it on Twitter, saying he was playing into a homeless, offensive stereotype about the homeless. Um, here's where it could have been just a thing that, you know, some people bugged him about and he let slide off his back and it was no big deal and nobody talked about it again. But oh no, not Dana White, who then went on a, a little Twitter tirade about how the pussies in this country make him sick, <laughs> getting pissed off about every little thing. I'm just saying... If you don't want to have to deal with the headaches of dealing with said pussies, don't say anything. Just let it go. I'm just saying. Might be a little easier. But if you let it go, then do you become one of the pussies? No. The pussies stay the pussies. Oh. Okay. We talked about this before the show, and I brought up that uh, while I agree with you, I'm going to say to the pussies, (laughs) when you criticize Dana White, for doing stuff like, you know, calling female journalists names that he should not call them, which he did a few years ago. You want that to have impact. You want it to mean something. And so if we're going to criticize him for every little thing, it's kind of like a boy who cried wolf situation. Pretty soon it's just going to be way easier for him to just blame it on the pussies and not take the criticism as anything valuable or valid. Yeah. It's going to be a pussies who cried wolf situation, you're saying. I agree with that. We do need to save our Dana White criticism for when it really matters. Yeah. Pretend um, like you have a finite number of them. Oh. And, and so you don't want to waste them. You just want to save it for when it really counts. <laughs> also, isn't it awesome when the super rich uh, sports business mogul um, just can't believe how easily offended people are? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I get it how there's not a whole lot you could really do to, to attack Dana White on those kind of equal grounds. But uh, he just can't understand how these, these pussies are getting so offended about every little thing. Makes him sick. I thought the most offensive part were those Zubaz pants he was wearing, that it looked like he borrowed from a 1980s-era Vince McMahon. <laughs> or maybe that was the best part. I can't... I don't know. It was he one or the other. You sound anyway, like a pussy right now. <laughs> this week, I'm just saying to the mainstream sports media who made professional wrestling fans and mixed martial arts media look shockingly professional this week with the way that they responded to the... Kansas City Chiefs murder-suicide, where the lion's share of the media that I saw kind of seemed to be siding with the murderer. I just have to say, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Wait, you're doing an are you fucking kidding me for just saying? I'm, I'm multitasking okay. over here. Okay, all right. But I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Anyway, that's the show for this week. Uh, we will be back next week. Actually, we won't be back next week. Because I will be out of town. Chad's fucking us next week. So thank Chad, everybody. Chad is screwing this whole operation up. Anyway, we'll talk about it later. Uh, That's the show for this week. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. But for right now, that's it. We're through. We're out. You know what it makes you sound like when you say you're going to ditch us for a week, right? It makes me sound like a pussy. It makes you sound like a pussy. Yeah, I'm so sick of all the pussies in this nation. Just caring about the homeless. This country.